Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Bench Units for what I believe is going to be the final weekend roundup of the 21-22 season, unless there's any games we don't know about, or, well, I guess there's the French Cup, but that doesn't count. So I am joined by not only the newly minted champion of the Copa del Rey, but a man who holds the semi-dubious distinction that Bilbao have never lost a Copa del Rey game in which he has played. James, how's it going, man? Yeah, good, thanks. Very tired. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday morning after getting back from, well, me getting back from the Copa del Rey about a day ago, and I'm still absolutely knackered from the playing and the travelling, and not celebrating, actually. Uh, that was pretty low-key, because it was like, hey, congratulations, get on a 12-hour bus journey. So... <laughs> Yeah, they should are. have at least hired you guys out one of those like party buses that they do for like hen nights and stuff. No, because I wanted to sleep. There is a weird thing where you're on the bus and some people are like, "Yeah, we won the jump, we won the Copa del Rey, let's celebrate," and other people are like, "Let's go to sleep." And it kind of ends up like after party, sort of in someone's house when they're kind of running out of drink, and some people are asleep on the sofa, and <laughs> so it, it's all a bit weird. But no, it was it was unbelievable, and it was kind of nice to go there and kind of think that we could get it done. Sure. Well, you're um, actually do it. Your starting five without Asia is officially undefeated since you guys went three and three in the first handful of games in the season. Um, you lost that one game without Manu and you lost a couple of games at Champs Cup where you had to play two Europe points rather than Spanish points. But yeah, so we haven't lost a game over points is funny, but also we played, of the three teams we played, all of them played with a reduction at some point because that's what people do, so yeah. fair enough. Like, um, Yeah, man. Um, actually, no, one of the teams we played played with a reduction, but they weren't they were under points with it. So fair enough. But yeah, um, now that I think that was the thing, like we knew that we could in theory show up and beat anyone. The one team in the Spanish league we hadn't beaten all season was Madiba, um, but we hadn't had this five. So it was nice to go and give that a go. And yeah, really cool to come away with something from this season because it was really weird. It was the sort of like... We no one really knew what was gonna happen when Asiero was down, and obviously we missed a bit of depth from a handful of other injuries and stuff. And yeah, the, there was a point early on in your guys' year where it felt like this season was just gonna be a hey, nothing gained from this. Shall we call the, see where we land this year? And whatever happens, we'll just kind of roll it over and that we'll try again next year, but. If you'd have told me at that point where you guys were three wins and three losses that Bilbao without Asia or Estache for that matter would win the final of the Copa del Rey, I don't know what I would have said other than, oh, did Burgos forfeit the final GB style? Um, but enough about you. Shall we hit the couple of finals that happened outside of Spain to start the episode off? And then we can do a Copa del Rey step-by-step breakdown. Yes. Okay. So in Italy, there were two games this weekend because that's how the playoffs work. Yeah, weird one. Um, 
So for those of you that listened last week, Cantu, Gillianova was at Cantu last weekend. Gillianova won game one, and that sets up a game two and potentially game three in Gillianova because I hadn't clocked this, but they actually had the better record than Cantu. Um, yeah. I think because the Spanish League split into like a group A and a group B, and San Stefano had, sorry, Cantu had San Stefano in their group, and I think split one and one with them. And Gillian never had the weaker group and went undefeated. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, two games, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. And the long and short of this is that this was two can two wins in Gillianova. First one, 55 47. Second one, 67 66, which was, I don't know if obviously these are really difficult to watch because you need a VPN or an Italian citizenship or you have to be like one of the players or coaches and able to view this game behind closed doors. But um, yeah, this was Cantu kind of putting themselves in a tough position and then pulling it out like a team that knows they are the best team in Italy and can turn it on when they need to kind of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. If if anyone listening to this um, happens to like be able to get these games to watch back, Give us a shout, please. Yeah, definitely. Because I'd like to see that. Yeah. But, yeah, man. First game, very low scoring. I don't know. The game's low scoring. Sometimes you're like, did they win it with defense or were teams bad? But, yeah, I I don't know. The level of analysis that we strive for. Yeah. If we don't have anything but stats in front of us, what I would say is they lost the first game and they were kind of, unable to play their four big lineup this time Sophie played 15 minutes and 47 seconds which would imply to me that four bigs played 15 minutes yeah and 47 seconds which is kind of where I think they're at their best yeah definitely depend depending on what um Santorelli and Saeed are giving you obviously but um, yeah I think um Santorelli and Saeed every Italian game I follow, they seem to have like a combined game where they'll have like 15 to 18 and then the next game they'll have a combined four. And it might just be, I would say it would just be a matchup thing, but this is these games two and three are like at the very least the third and fourth times, if not more, that these teams have played each other at this point. So you'd think those guys would have a feel for the matchup or maybe it's Julian over changing it up. But I think that like you say about this game being low scoring, if you told Gillian over they would score 47 and only lose to Cantu by eight, and then the very next day they would put nearly 20 more points on the board themselves, it's a gut wrench just to find out they would lose that game as well. Like that, yeah. that seems like they, to be fair, they, were, they have been in with a shout. I think every time they've played Cantu from the Italian Cup final through these three playoff games, they obviously won one of them. But they ha- haven't appeared overmatched at any point. No. Although, like, I guess if you're if you're a Burdoon team and Burdoon goes seven for twenty three, you're gonna struggle. Yeah, sure. Like that's just an inefficient game across the board from everyone. Like they shot thirty percent. Yeah, and I think you you see it a little bit with. Um, their guards being Stupanengo and Beginskis are kind of more game manager, floor general types rather than, hey, I'll take on some of the 
offensive load kind of thing. That's not really what they do. I think they're both pretty good players, but you're not saying, oh, we're getting a quiet Badoon game. Let's hope we can get 15 from Stupenango and Baginskis each. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, yeah. It's, it's This is really hard to talk about without being <laughs> able to see the game. But Sure. sure. I think the, the bottom line of all of this is Cantu are better, but season, this has been by no means a disappointment from Gillianova. I think if you look at the rosters, Gillianova are pretty shallow. They only really play five or six guys. And they kind of feel one piece away from being able to challenge Cantu more legitimately than they have done. Yeah. And yeah, I guess the spin on it is congratulations to Cantu, who've now won the Super Cup, the Italian Cup, and the Italian playoff finals. So clean sweep. Who could have called that at the start of the season? Exactly. <laughs> Who um, would have thought it? Also, um, it was Dimaggi that iced the game with the free throws, wasn't it? Yes. So that's cool. Thinking. So we'll, we'll talk about making free throws to win championships again. But, you know, <laughs> shout out, unbelievable. Shout out to Dimaggi, by the way, who has promised that he will get his English good enough to join us on the podcast at some point. <laughs> well, yeah, that was really funny. We were like, should we ask him? Does he speak English? And we're like, well, he's speaking English to us currently. And he was like, no, I don't think it's good enough. And we were like, it's okay. I wonder if someone could be like, I don't think my English is good enough, and then listen to someone else and be like, oh, yeah, it might be. <laughs> like, I wonder if that's happened. Like, I wonder if we get someone from England who speaks weird on and then be like, no, nah, if everyone understands them. Wesley Fry. Right. I was going to go as own teammate, get the Barnsley lads on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Shall we... Shift I would love that. I don't think Sagar listens. I'm pretty sure Sagar doesn't listen to this, but man, we need to get Sagar on. We do. We'll we'll just start this out and we'll mention it every week until we've publicly pressured him into joining us and the people who listen are up for it. Great. I don't I don't think anyone who listens would argue with Sagar coming on here. Oh, I don't think so. I hope not. And if you would stop it. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. Okay, Germany. So this one was Landil 64, Thuringen 63. This was game two. So this gave Landil the win of the best of three series. And the highlight of this game was when Tommy got set. Tommy got a three up, got fouled. The shot banked in. They called no basket. But Which is got, insane, by the way. That counts, I think. He got free throws because it was team fouls, and then he missed his first free throw, and then both the live stream and the stats just stopped for five minutes. Yes. Like it was the end of Sopranos or something. <laughs> yeah, like you literally, spoiler alert, you literally can't see the free throws to win it go in on the stream anymore. Right. It just cuts to them like getting their medals, Awful, which is mental. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah biggest moment of the entire German season is not visible but yeah the stats have reliably informed us that Tommy made the free throw imagine if this was all a conspiracy and it was all just acted out I don't know why Thuringen would go along with that yeah, um, like the moon landing yeah. they, record, they recorded this in Tunisia for some <laughs> reason I think that's where they said the moon landing was faked I, I didn't know that but 
if anyone's listening, the moon landing was not faked because why would anybody go to the effort of faking that? It'd be much easier to just go to Tunisia and have a holiday. I thought you were going to say it'd be much easier to just go to the moon. Well, it probably would. <laughs> Wouldn't. Don't but, be insane. There's some theory on the moon landing, isn't there, that for to make it work seamlessly, 400,000 people would have to be in on it to some degree. Yeah, I'm sure they were. The thing. Yes, I'm sure 400,000 people kept that as close to chess as it would need to be to stay a secret all this time. Yeah, I, I wonder how many people work at NASA. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right, this game. So, unbelievable. Landil kind of made the adjustment in the last game to go with different starters and get some size on the floor and man it still worked but they were down 16 at one point yeah they were down 16 so they were down 16 at the start of the third pretty much and i was like okay this is 20 minutes to make a comeback but about halfway through the third they were still down 16 they made a run and then kind of gave it back a bit or yeah made their own little run i was like oh okay they actually come back from this in like a full quarter like that's unbelievable Sure. Yeah, it was. This was kind of we've talked about it with Landil, and it's like a similar thing that we've said with Amiab through the season is that depth of options will at some point get you through rough spots because when you have as much amassed talent as these guys have, you're just not going to be cold for an entire game. No. And like the the first quarter of this was 10-9 Thuringen, which was pretty tough watching. Um, it was then 18-10 second quarter. So Thuringen take a pretty only a nine-point lead into the into the half right there. But then I think it was 20, it was only 23-21 Landil in the third, but I think that happened in runs to the point where Thuringen basically got the first seven points of the quarter on the board. And yeah. Landil then went. 23-14 for the rest of that quarter or something to that effect anyway. Uh, so when you look at it that way, it was actually something to the effect of 45-28 over the last 15 minutes, which yeah. sounds completely mental in winning a one-point game with like 1.7 seconds left or whatever it was that Tommy made those free throws with. Um, but the I think kind of the, the subplot of this two-game series is that Landil just found a way to take Jordi Ruiz away completely. Um, I think he had five and then six points in the two games. Yeah. A lot of the scoring slack fell to Joachim Linden, who was actually pretty good in both games. But Yeah, not- he made some tough ones down the stretch as well, yeah. which was the only reason they were able to hang on. Like there was, we'll talk about the fourth quarter in a minute, but there were points where like he was the only thing stopping runs, like stemming the bleeding for sure. a little bit. But yeah, they took Jordi away, but he'd had another weird one. He was minus eight. Yeah, I, but he'd actually hit the, I think with Landil up two, Vahid hit the basket to tie it, which I've been a Vahid fan for a while now, but he has been in witness protection for the last like three weeks or so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was big to see him hit that, but then obviously Tommy had his sequence. And I think that, as you mentioned, Landil kind of committed to going big, but they got a combined eight for 33 out of Rio and Brian Bell, which 
if you were to tell me you were to go against probably the two best club level bigs in the world anywhere and your own two starting four and a halves were going to go eight from 33, I would say good luck to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Tommy off the bench with 22, Kozai with 20. Kozai had the quietest 24 of anybody I've ever seen. I would I would disagree. My whole thing was going to be fourth quarter, the run game when Landil were just like, although they were playing big, they were also super aggressive. Like they sort of they were pressing with three up at some points. They were just extending their half court defense, putting a little ball of pressure on, knowing that they had bigs kind of in the background. There's that security that comes with I don't know the thing that they're gonna have all the time, but um there's that sort of security coming with having size behind you that you can just go yeah, yeah. all out and Landell kind of had that and they made it scrappy and they made it chippy and like Yannick and Binet got into it for a little minute and there were bits and pieces of that and there were you know they just really really brought it to a team that I would have probably said were more physical at one yeah. point but now they showed that that was not the case but while they were doing that on one end here it was keeping them afloat on the other end in the fourth quarter also, there was a point where I think Landell really, really got it right, where it was like Hero was doing well. He was keeping them afloat as soon as he missed one. Um, I think he missed one way short. Um, they pulled him and um, they pulled him and Simon and put Rio and um, Katarina Weiss back in. Yeah. And Rio kind of hit a couple. Of, he only went forward from 16, but he hit a couple fourth quarter. You know, they just always had someone who was going to keep yeah. them afloat. Then Tommy came back in and did the business in that regard again. You know, like I think it's mad, but yeah, mad. like they just had someone at, at all times to hit shots and they were rotating and kind of going through the options. And oh man, yeah, two, two things on that is. When you describe the hero game that way, it sounds eerily similar to your guy. I would say it. Yes. The thing with the hero game in Tokyo was like, we were going on a run to make a comeback, but he just came with us. So it didn't matter. (laughs) Like for every two points we had, he probably had 1.5. You guys look like you're on the way to the next round. Do you mind if I come along? Can Um, I come too? Um, My my favourite stat from this entire game I don't. I can't remember what it, how it compares to um, to game one of the series, but Tommy being in the game for twenty seven minutes and thirty seconds off the bench, getting fifteen shots up and having one assist is like. I, I wonder if there was a moment like pre game where his coach was like, "Do you mind? Like this obviously worked well for us." are you happy to come off the bench again? And he was like, okay, on the condition that every time I catch the ball, this is going up. I don't think Tommy Woman needs to ask permission at this point. I don't think he does, but it's so funny that it's like an established starter with like two bench games to his name ever. And he's like, hey, if I'm coming in, I'm coming in hot. Yeah, there's a thing of like, I want my stats per game to not change you for a second. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> random little thing that I think Turingia left on the table was Haluski got fouled out with like five to go less. Yeah. And at that point, they were running Haluski, Yitzka, Vahid, Joachim, and Jens Albrecht. Yes. So you take 
Halouski, who's a lot of perimeter, he's massive, but he's also provides a lot of perimeter handling and scoring, obviously. Off you pull him off, and you don't have either Binek or uh Jordi Ruiz at the scorer's table. That seems yeah. like like so they put fish back in for him, which is one thing, but like not having I don't yeah. know, like you if you play for, like four out of the follow if you play two out of the following four people, London, Ruiz, uh Binek and Albrecht you've probably got two that provide more handling and you had the other two on the bench. Yeah. Which, it, I mean, you had the other two on the floor. Like, I mean, that's a really, like, nebulous thing to just be sitting at home on my sofa being like, hey, I would have done this. <laughs> he did, like, they called a timeout in two plays and did it. And I'm just like, but stuff like that, you lost by one. Like, yeah. I wonder if that makes a difference. And, like, even Jordy didn't have the most efficient game. And, um. Joachim Linden was actually really, really good all game, but I don't know. I just wonder if that would have been something to Yeah, no, I'm with you. I also think the with Jody struggling like he was, I also think the Albrecht thing went under use. It's like, hey, if Jody's not shooting, you have like we've seen Albrecht before play on the block for other shooters. It's like you could very easily have had. Paluski and Albrecht running the dump down game, which isn't necessarily available with Jordy because that's not real. Jordy's very much ball in hand perimeter type guy. Whereas I think you, with Jordy not shooting well, you could have opted for some more kind of higher higher floor offense. I think is probably the term. But yeah, like you say, it's it's easy for us to look at this and be like, well, I would have done this, and it's like, well if we were so sure that what we would have done is right, maybe we would be the coaches of the second best team in Germany. Maybe we would have jobs doing that. <laughs> no, I don't know. There is a thing like at this level, it's just like, Hey, this might've swung. Pro- it's like probably, it's like probabilities and possibilities, not certainties. Like there's yeah. no, you're like, Hey, does this thing swing the odds a little bit in our favor in the next minute and a half? Sure. But maybe. But it's also, yeah. especially now that the game's done, super easy to say that. Yeah. Well, we'll not spend too much longer on this because we're hoping to get somebody, um, Landil adjacent, in to tell us about this game and this series in a bit more detail. But before... so if you're Landil adjacent and listening to this, let us know if you'd like to come on. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I guess last thing, last couple of things. Uh, Andre Binex announced he's retiring. So, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Congratulations to him. Big career. He's been around for as long as I remember watching basketball. Uh, obviously retired from Germany recently and retiring from club level seemingly now. So, yeah, shout out to him. And other than that, career. congratulations to Landil, who, if you'd have told, again, if you'd have told me a couple of weeks ago that they were going to beat Thuringen back to back after the couple of games they've had against them most recently. I would have very much struggled to envision envision that, but they have done it. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Fair play. Great season from both of those teams. Wow. It actually feels like we're getting to like the end of a series of TV show. It feels like we're trying to wrap stuff up. <laughs> this is weird. Maybe it doesn't. Right. Shall we hit the Copa del Rey? Because this was kind of a big deal, as Ron Burgundy would say. Yeah. I don't know how to put this. All right, so game one. No, well, before that, any overarching 
um, sort of themes um, to you? Because I've got some stuff. Not really. This is just I wanted to like take a step, but I wanted to zoom back out so that I can talk about something different. Right. Okay. Um, no, I don't think I have. I think probably team by team I could go overarching things, but we can probably talk about that as we get slightly deeper into it because I think we're just going to blitz this first round of games because a couple of them weren't super relevant to what then went on to happen. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, we're gone. If you've got any, if you've got any broad strokes, we'll hear them now. This isn't. I'm um, stepping back from the cup at all, right? But I would like to address the All Star Five situations that have been happening in Spain over the last two days. So, people listening to this might be plugged in enough that you will have seen that the Spanish league selected an All Star Five and kind of trotted it out in the um. In the, what do you call it? Trotted it out in the gala at the start of the Copa del Rey. So, Mark, could you tell me who the five players in the All-Star 5 for the Spanish League were this year? I can. And we should probably preface this by saying this is no slight to anybody selected. Um, no, 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 no. No, absolutely not. I was going to get on to that, but please okay. tell me the five players. So, the five were Mateus Filipski of Amiab Albacete. Phil Pratt and John Hernandez of Madiba Extremadura, Bill Latham of CD Lunion, and Agustino Lejos of Vigo, which I have some opinions on that one in and of itself, but I'll let you go. Okay, so my opinion on that is that that is 19 points. <laughs> my thing is like, they, so Agustino Lejos couldn't make it to that um Gala, I don't know. They were sitting in a room. I don't really, they call it a gala. But anyway, he couldn't make it. So there were only four of the five players in that picture and it was already 14 and a half points. Um, (laughs) What are we doing here? Like, if you want to, like, if you want to say that low pointers aren't worth um, having a, like, go ahead, fine. But like, you have, like, you can't say that. Yeah. (laughs) You're not allowed to do that. So, like, I don't know have it be 15 because you really really like this guy and you don't want to but like you've had a 2-5 that just absolutely lit the league up you've had a 2 that was probably the best player in the league all season my thing is like and once again this isn't a criticism of anyone selected because I don't know how they do it like five very very good players there um, a handful of them were unbelievable all year but why is it that many points yeah. Um, and then the All Star Five for the Copa del Rey. They 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 took my criticism on board and dipped it to eighteen. Uh, well, seven seventeen with the reduction. But oh my god! But yeah, that that's that's all I had. To, like, just I've seen the All Star Five sheet for Champions Cup, and I know this is Champions Cup, but it literally is like, please try to keep this under points. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, it, I have a couple of things on it. Is that the nineteen? They didn't even try to get to anything like a playable basketball team. No, they just picked the five. Yeah. Their five favorite players, and once again, like unbelievable players on that in that five. But it's like that's of of course that's well, a you, good five. You say you say that, but they picked Alejos who is a good player in his own right, but is on a team that has barely won a damn game all year and 
there's better four and a halfs than him who like you cannot tell me that Alaios has had a better season than Terry or for example like Jorge Sanchez or whoever else but yeah or or just like put Kyle in there well yeah like, there's that but the, or the put other David thing Marie's in there like the other thing I noticed as I was trying to work out my Copa del Rey all stuff five in my head is that so many teams play with points reductions of one description or another. It's very difficult to build out an all-star five in Spain without a points reduction player, which then makes the league all-star five even funnier because they didn't even try and do that. Um, but yeah, it's also made it really difficult to pick lows because so many teams stack up points and have lows who don't provide a huge amount of service like with the greatest of respect I don't think I'm a massive Oscar on Rubio fan but in a three-game sample where Albacete is stacking up points and playing Almu or Fran Lara Oscar on Rubio is their best low but doesn't get chance to showcase his game because that's not the structure he's playing in um and yeah kind of maybe the gap between ones and twos is widening but they barely select any twos for anything anyway. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's kind of the crunch of the points reductions where this stuff is basically lows are less valuable than they were because people can stack points up elsewhere. And as a result, lows are being asked to do less. And then when it comes to all star five selections, people are saying, well, none of these lows gave a very good account of themselves. So we'll just have to go over points. And it's like, you've built a league where it's very difficult for lows to give any good account of themselves that's still no excuse for not having kyle in there because he's not a low he is a, a two who plays like a three he's a two that plays like a four well yeah um yeah he yeah i don't like i'm not being like don't pick x y like i'm not i would struggle to figure out who to pull from that five to make it on points because you'd need to pull two players yeah <laughs> but um that's that's a lot man but yeah i just my thing is just like don't tell us to take it seriously and then yeah. not take it seriously but i think that's part of like you get the live vuvuzela guys who every week on their like wheelchair basketball rundown will be like the stars of the week and it'll just be like the people with the best stats and they're all fours and kyle and greg. <laughs> like it's fours kyle greg and david like yeah but my thing is like you could have like kyle greg david in there and try and make it on points yeah, it's ridiculous, man. Um, yeah. Anyway, right. So on to the actual oh, sure. La- Last thing before we moved on, is Kyle officially the most robbed human being in the entire routine of wheelchair basketball this season? No All-Star 5 at Champs Cup, no All-Star 5 for the Spanish League, no All-Star 5 at Copa del Rey. Yeah, the Copa del Rey one, I don't mind. But, yeah. like, yeah, because yeah, he got thrown out in the semi-final, which is <laughs> mad. We need to talk about refs at some point, but... Uh, on the subject of people getting thrown out, game one, yes. Bilbao and Alunion, David Maurice ejected after 12 minutes and 51 seconds. Yes, and we still won. You did. Shout out to Biel Cabo. Yeah, the boy, yeah. The, the man, the myth, the legend, the only guy who's ever, the only guy who's ever won a uh, Copa del Rey playing part-time. <laughs> no, he <laughs> played Kyrie, our first game. Kyrie yeah. Irving must be like saluting this guy. Yeah, except for he went to play another basketball game. 
Um, yeah, so he plays for Barcelona in the division below when they were playing for promotion, I think, in Sevilla. So they were playing that evening. He came, played Saturday morning with us, went to Sevilla, played Saturday evening with them, came back and played the final. Well, and, and, we, and he played in both games as well. Legend. Nobody can say, say that kid doesn't want it. Right. No, unbelievable. So tell us about this game, man. So David got thrown out for two techs. Not the last time someone will get thrown out for two techs in a row, which I think is absolutely disgraceful. I mean, not getting thrown out. I mean, throwing someone out for something like that. Yeah. Like he just had to go at someone and then had to go at the ref. And like, I guess it is two technicals, but like give someone a tech and move on, please. Sure. Like, a tech is probably there so that like one tech is there so that someone is worried about getting the second one. So maybe chills out a bit. Yeah. Like give some attack and see if you can control the game. I don't know, but I don't know what he said or what he did. So I don't really like, you know, I can say the ref was completely wrong, but I'm just like, Hey, stop throwing people out. Stop, stop, <laughs> Stop having us come on here and be like, so the game changed when you blew a whistle. <laughs> um, but yeah, so David got thrown out. They were up at the time by two. Um, I pushed around the other four players that were on my team. And I was like, hey, we've got 27 minutes of basketball to play, no matter what we think. So should we go and try and win this anyway? But I didn't for a second believe it was going to be doable. Um, spirit. But, what's that? That's the spirit. No, but like you don't <laughs> think you should be able to pull that out in that scenario, do you? Like, no, you're right. I guess that's fair. But so we sort of kind of galvanized us. Chema just gets better the less you the support you give him. Apparently, <laughs> um, I think he could beat the best teams in the world one on five. Um, but he was unbelievable. Um, Hasso had a quiet one, but was there, like, yeah, and was doing the business and like, had played on four files as well, which is so hard to do when you literally don't like you can't come off. Sure, yeah, we'd had to put a one on for Hasso while already missing David, yeah, yeah, that, that did well. A lot. And you said you say that Hasso had a quiet one, but Bill Latham also had five shots in the entire game and that almost never happens unless he's going up against a giant. So that's the Hasso effect right there. Oh yeah, no, like Hasso had a quiet one in terms of offensive yeah. numbers, but Hasso's presence is very important. Um, yeah, also like obviously shout out to Biel Carbo for coming in and doing the business and hitting some shots and taking a lot of responsibility yeah, like we all had to do the business. Manu hit some big ones. Manu hit some big free throws at the end. The big thing was just like we were on our own. We were up uh, 11 at one point. Yeah. Um, we had a 10-point run at one point, which made a difference. Um, on the other end of the floor, we managed to keep Greg quite sort of quiet, at least a bit inefficient. Um, he still had... 10 points, but he managed to help hold him to four from 15. Um, Terry, we did a decent job on for a half, and then he put his cape on and went nuts for a while. And 
there was one point that he had a three over me and then I was just like, yeah, he might be about to do this and like fair play if he does, but it was only two from 10 from three, which kind of helped us. He did a lot of like threaten the three. We sell out of it. He takes a dribble in and shoots a contested post up. And I was like, that's probably keeping us afloat rather than these being threes because they're such killers, but hit one over me from what felt like the halfway line at one point but <laughs> that was completely insane but yeah i think that's the big thing if you do a good job on terry in his tournament yeah the, right. um, the thing that gets me here is so Illunion start and rotate big guys you know Illunion never goes small at any stage and despite that you guys bill bauer had 54 rebounds in this game a lot of them were off our own shots. Yeah, yes. we had 22 offensive rebounds and you guys got 73 shots up as a result to their 66. Yeah, like um, we shot the same from like two out of three probably, but just... Sure. Yeah, it's um, this was kind of a possessions battle thing. And yeah, you had Manu with 14 rebounds, Chema with 14 rebounds, Hasso with 15. Um, and this was just kind of you were able to keep Illunion's offense at bay long enough and create yourself enough chances in that amount of time that, like you say, led to that run, which then gave you a bit of cushion for the inevitable Terry Bywater avalanche that I think looked like it was coming a couple of times. I don't know if it ever went full avalanche mode, but this is Terry's tournament and he was going down swinging and he finished with 30. So... It, yeah, like he went 30, 10, and 10. Like yeah. that's 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 great. Well that they, they should have good game. They should have put him in the all stars, but he wasn't enough points. Um he also wasn't there. Yeah. This was yeah, this was kind of a obviously when you guys knew you had this crossover, you were kind of like, uh, we've got the tough one, but that also means they've got the tough one. And I think Illunion looked for all intents and purposes like they were peaking coming out of Champions Cup and you guys, even without David, were able to limit their non-Terry options enough to give yourselves a chance. And like you said, with the land throwing and stuff, at this level it comes down to probabilities and when the probabilities are someone other than Terry having to carry them, you feel a lot better about it than if you were letting Terry get whatever he wanted. Yeah, for sure. Like Amadou, Bill, etc. didn't have bad games, but like weren't high enough volume to make a difference. Sure. If you kind of make their high volume guys lower their... Per- if someone's like a high volume, high quality player, it's can you drop the first number or the second number of the shooting stats? Yeah. We weren't sure. able to stop Terry or Greg getting shots off, but we're able to drop the efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. We also were up from the middle of the second quarter to the end of the game. I've yeah. just realized. Definitely. Do you, before we move on to the next game, do you want to take a victory lap on the time you told me that you don't think Danny Diaz is that bad? No. <laughs> Funny that. Right. Should we move on? Oh, yeah. He blew, he blew a really important one for them, which helped us. But he, he did. Yeah. That's, that's, that's I what, what I was getting at. But I feel he like. Also, He's also so nice. I'm sure he is. Um, right. Up next, 
will not spend a huge amount of time on this one because quite honestly, I had forgotten that it happened. But this was Madiba 71, Vigo 54. And this one went more or less according to the script, I think. Not the script of Lee coming on here last week and saying Vigo will win this one if Romo makes 23s because he didn't. Oh, well, yeah. That's that's entirely fair. Yeah. Um, and they might have done because they didn't like... How many threes did he make? Uh, he was four from 12. Exactly. If he made 16 more threes, they would have won the game. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so I I Madiba, call this one. Madiba are very good. Vigo kind of lack, despite lack the, the despite the presence of their all star. Um, yes. Vigo, who, no, but he was also voted the MVP of the league. Apparently, oh, well, I didn't see that. My days. We've I mean, spent... fine. Like, I also like this isn't slander. Like Alejos, Alejos gets these numbers up on this team. Uh, yes, but... yeah, had thirteen points in this one. Yes. Um, so this was I caught this one at halftime because I'd been watching your game and this was at halftime of this game Phil had zero points but 10 rebounds and 12 assists I think something. which is mental so he had a, a no points double double at halftime which I don't think you see that very often um, and it sounds weirdly contradictory to say about a team's best player, but in a in a Madiba game, if Phil's got twelve assists by halftime while not being pressured into putting a huge number of points up to carry them, that's kind of what Madiba want out of these these games against more slow paced teams. Yeah, show which, up, run a like run and gun, get everyone going, go home and rest for the semi final. Yeah, sure. So yeah, that was the one thing that worried me because we were going to have to play them and I was like, if they can just run Amphi for like 40, yeah. they can just rotate. Although they only have seven guys, so you actually can't, but you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, so this was this was basically the Madiba formula we've seen all year is um, Luis, John Hernandez and Salvador Sandoval with a combined 59 points, which that trio outscores Vigo on its own. Yeah. So that's kind of Phil's in his happy place, I think, where he's feeding the the run and gun kind of early looks for those guys, and they just executed that to the bitter end, really. And nothing that Vigo were going to throw out there was any matching level of efficiency for what Madiba have in that style of play. No. Who... Is like the NBA player that would have six, 18, and 12. It's a very like Jason Kidd from back in the day, isn't it? Yeah, I was trying. I, that was that was where I got to. Like yeah. that's, that's completely, that's mental. I don't know if that's playing against a bad team that he doesn't need to go out and score against, but like that's that's a cool, cool line anyway. Way to go. It's like the- weird stats. Yeah. Right. Up next. So we will not spend a massive amount of time on this one. This was Gran Canaria 66, Mercia 50. And yeah, we've kind of talked at various points this year about how we think Mercia are doing things the right way and have a promising, you know, however many years in the top division in Spain ahead of them. But they would have been 
above and beyond themselves to upset Gran Canaria in the first round of Copa del Rey. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, like, I was speaking to someone from Murcia and, like, the amount of people that have been coming up to them and congratulating them on the season they've had oh, is amazing. Cool. Yeah, it's kind of, we've talked about it, and I thought at one point I did worry if we were being, like, hipsters and being like, hey, look how much we appreciate these minute details, but we've had a couple of guests on now who've been like, no, they're kind of, you know, I respect what they're doing over there in Murcia, so it's cool to see that they're getting the level of recognition because th- this stuff isn't easy, man. Like making the top division in Spain and playing your way into the top eight by the first half of the season. I think that's how Copa del Rey works. Is that right? Yes. Um, yeah. Very few teams do that. And yeah, not having teething problems in the, in the highest league in the world. Yeah. So shout out to them, but Gran Canaria have infinitely more talent and they won this game with Rose Holloman coming off the bench because she's not had any wheels for the last month. Yeah. Also not starting someone because you want to like ease them into it, but then them playing 35 minutes is funny. Yeah. <laughs> playing 35 minutes and shooting 50% on the way to 14 points as if they've never been away is just like... It's the most Grand Canaria thing in the entire world. These guys could run their offense in their sleep at this point, I feel like. Yeah. So, yeah, this was um, Joaquin Robles with 14, Philip Pafley with 14, Lalo Prieto with 20 for Mercia, and then the typical kind of Grand Canaria spread where they got 16 from Ari Twice, who had a hell of a tournament. Unbelievable. Um, 14 from Rose. 13 from Jorge Salazar, 11 from Jorge Sanchez. And yeah, this was just about... Mercia don't really have the perimeter creation to get dependable offense all the time, and that is exactly what Gran Canaria have in spades, and over 40 minutes that will, you know, that will bear out. Yeah. Yeah, this is better team beats worse team. Yeah. Like, um, it's, it's, that's what happens in the quarterfinals. There are only five like five or six really good teams. Yeah. Eh, and like four. I don't know. Speaking of maybe the sixth good team, quarterfinal number four, Amiab and Malaga. Amiab 74, Malaga 71. This was closer than everyone thought. Yeah. So halftime, it was three, right? Yes. So I turned it off at halftime. Turned it back on a bit late, and they were up 13, I think, or something. Up said he were. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, cool. This is done. Yeah. I think it was 15 at one point. Yeah. So I was like, this is done. And then I turned it back on. It was three again. I was like, yeah. what is happening here? But I actually don't really know what happened. Just lineup changes and stuff, I guess. Yeah, this you was... Rotate a little bit. Also... I say I don't know what happened here. It's not like one of the other quarterfinals, like Amivel are a good team. Yeah, this was... The first thing this reminded me of was when we talked about Amiab and Valladolid a few weeks back where it was like five at halftime and then Amiab put the first six points of the third quarter on the board and you may as well have called the game off at that point because it was the other team very much sensed, oh, here it is, kind of thing. And... I thought that was what was happening here. And then Malaga battled nearly all the way back. Um, oh, yeah. 
a team coached by Eddie Orgbem. He's not going to be like, ah, yep, that's yeah, the run. Cool. They've got us. We're done. Um, but this was, I thought it was interesting here because Malaga have kind of, in the second half of the season, or maybe since they beat Illunion, have kind of graduated from team that might get you to team that higher up teams do take seriously. Oh, for sure. And I think you saw that here because Cosarinha came in kind of late first quarter. And I think on his first few touches, Lee basically blew the defensive coverages up to go and match up with him. Like Lee was shout, shouting people out of the way and like nudging chairs to go and get a hand up on his shots. And yeah. that is obviously, I'll say have the kind of talent to do that stuff. But the fact that they're doing that specifically is a sign of respect, I think. Cazarinha also drained a baseline fadeaway from behind the backboard <laughs> over Lee as the shot clock ran out. I don't know if you saw that. But Unbelievable. It was mental. Um, but yeah, this was kind of uh, Albacete pulling away and then Malaga bringing it back. I think might have caused some teams to wobble, but I think this is where the Albacete, hey, we just won the Champions Cup level of composure gets to kick in and them to be able to kind of rein it back in and take control. They'd also beaten this team this time last week. So it's, they're probably not like terrified of them as an opponent because you're not when you've beaten somebody so recently. Yeah. Like, I think this was, this was a fun one. I like when teams have to play each other a couple of times in a row to see like, what sort of adjustments do you make? Like whose minutes do you rein in Yeah, this, that and the other. But the one thing, about this is like I'm sure Albacete would have loved to have blown them out and rested their guys for later on in the tournament but good enough team, bad enough draw that they weren't able to do that, they kept lead to 20 but Gaz played 40, Kyle played 36, 37 but those guys went 16 from 36 which is eh that's all, that's all right. Yeah, I think kind of the telltale in this game was Albacete getting 60 shots up. Feels a little bit low for them. They're not the fastest paced team in the world, but they, they're also never under any pressure of a 24-second clocker. So it's, yeah, kind of 60 shots for them, 74 for Malaga. It's easy to see how the less talented team was able to close the gap a little bit. Um, Jaime Esparza from Malaga had 22, but he was 10 from 29. And yeah, there were some makeable shots in there. And it's like, hey, I you obviously can't fault him a huge amount because he carried the load for them in this game and in the season. But I think every game like this, people who've got good stats are still like, man, if I'd have made two more shots, you know, this could have been different kind of thing. Yeah, him being efficient has honestly been one of the big differences when they beat big teams. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, you're right on that. Uh, yeah, so 22 for him, 16 for Abdi. Um, Abdi probably would have made the All-Star 5 and balanced the points up a bit if Malaga had played more than one game. But 16 for Abdi, 13 for Kozarina, and then the usual kind of Malaga chipping in across the board but not this is kind of the Malaga thing where they've got enough pieces that might have good games but 
they just need to, I feel like in games like this where Spurs is trying to do it all on his own, I think Malaga need a guy who creates some offensive synchronicity versus a team that's as in tune as Albacete is. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, just to like go on my blueprint for Amivel to beat good teams is that Esparza is efficient and Cozarina is efficient. When they beat Alunia and I just managed to pull the stats up, they both shot 50% on quite high numbers. Yeah. Um, we know Cozarina's shot just below 50%. Um, but yeah, so that's the sort of stuff you need. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, like we've said with Malaga before, they're not far off. And they potentially could have snuck into the next round if they'd have played anyone other than Amiab. Like a, a Malaga upset over Illunion or Gran, Gran Canaria or Bilbao doesn't seem out of the question. And their upset over Amiab doesn't seem out of the question either. But yeah, they must be, they must look at kind of who they could have gone up against and been like, man, we could have been into the second round. And then who knows what happens, as we'll see as we go into the second round now. Yeah, for sure. All right. Talking about the second round. Semi-finals, Bilbao uh, 68, Madiba 50. I'll let you go because I know this is the win you wanted. Uh, yeah, it's the only team in the Spanish League that we didn't beat all year, so it was nice to see if we could get there. Um, I think we kind of thought we had a bit of a blueprint to be able to do it, especially being able to play the 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 five that we have not lost with the over points five, but um, I feel like I've become very aware of it. I feel like I'm just hedging against the fact that we make fun of other teams. We're going over points, but yeah, um, got it done. David was nuts again. David was six from 13 from three, 11 from 29 overall for 28 points. Which is funny because his six from 13 from three was just a warm-up act for what he would go on to do in the final, but we'll get to that. Oh, yeah, completely insane. So we got sort of low numbers, efficient games from me, Manu, and Hasso. And Gemma chipped in with... uh, That's really funny. I saw his shooting percentage, and I was like, 40 what? No, Um, he chipped in with 11. So it was quite of a low-scoring game, but we knew it kind of needed to be that if we were going to have a chance. Well, it needed to be sort of scrappy, defensive. Um, well, if, we let them, if we well, let them run on us, that we're going to have 100. Yeah, sure. So it was, don't let them run on us. While um, we're on Chema just now, he is, I think I said this in our chat with Mendel, but he is possibly the world's greatest player at, hey, we just need a basket to either slow the tempo or settle us. Like there was so many times in this game where things could have gone either way at certain points. And he was like, okay, where's their one? I'm not even going to try and push past them. I'm just going to stop and shoot like a one chair length outside the key bank shot and hit that at 75%. Oh yeah. He seemed to hit every time it got close in the first half or like was looking like, Madiba might be trying to up the tempo. He was like, hey, how about I slow this right down and then just nail a bank shot at the end of it? Yeah. And we know that's there as well. Like, that's a thing. We kind of had it against Landil to less success. And we had it here where it's like, hey, if there's a one on the floor and we don't have anything else, Chem is pretty good from those spots. But 
And then defensively, it was get back in transition, pack the paint, but extended a little bit and sort of batten down the hatches and hope for the best. Thought Lewis had a good game. Yeah, um, yeah, he made some big ones. His in, um, in the beginning, he was like making sort of free throw line catch and shoots, and I was like, "Oh, if we have to adjust to this, we're going to yeah. be in some trouble." But we, yeah, he's, he's gone better at that. To be fair, that was something I feel like even at the start of this season, he didn't really have in his arsenal. But I think there's been a couple of games where he's made those consistently, and with his kind of speed and cutting, if he gets to be something that people have to worry about there as well, then that's a, a huge dimension for him and whoever he ultimately plays for. for sure. um, but yeah, I thought this was the big difference here was the in- interior battle is pretty evident in that Hasso, who, like you say, had been quiet against a bigger team in Illunion. He only had 12 here, but he was five from eight. And there was a bunch of times here where Hasso would get inside and there's nobody on Madiba who, like Madiba aren't small guys by any means, but there's nobody on Madiba who's contesting a Hasso close range post up. No, apart from that, he's on Betancourt, but he's yeah. not on the floor to do it. Sure. Um, he's massive. And on the flip side, after combining for 60 in their opening game, John Hernandez had 22, but Madiba only got 14 from Lewis and six from Salvador, which when those guys are on the lower end of the scoring numbers, you're the general feeling there is Madiba just didn't get inside, be it in transition or off of half-court cuts enough yeah. to get the looks that they typically rely on. No. No, we did a good job on that stuff. Like, I think it's the Madiba thing is like no one has any sort of misconceptions about where they do damage, but it's just sometimes they're so good at it that it doesn't matter. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so it's just have a game plan, try and stick to it, try and deny the things that you really can't live with and try and just live with the rest of it. Yeah, sure. And we managed to do that. So yeah, unbelievable. Yep. And the other thing that jumps out to me here, we talked about kind of, the ideal Phil formula. He he still had 13 assists in this game. Which is mental. Which is mental, but that was 13 assists on only 21 made baskets outside of himself. Um, yeah. And there was a point where Madiba, you guys were up two at halftime. We're being 30 to 28. There was a point three minutes into the fourth quarter, so 13 minutes after that, where the score was 59-39. So yeah, you, man. You guys had gone on a 29-11 run at that point, and Madiba's lack of not being able to get out in transition and not having the world's most dependable half-court offense makes it really, really tough for them to close gaps unless they're going to... If by the time you've let it open to that, you can't just say, oh, well, we'll just press and get it back because seven minutes to make up 20 points is a lot if your half-court possessions aren't counting for a great deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we were up 20 at one point, I turned to someone watching on the sideline. I, I don't remember who it was. And I was like, there's so much game left. Like, <laughs> oh, no. And they were like, no, nah, it's over. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah. Right. Okay. 
Moving on. on. Other semi-final. The next one. Referees won basketball. Is it? No, I'm joking. Um, (laughs) That's for both teams. We'll talk about the refs in a minute. But uh, Gran Canaria 70, Amiab 65. So the quest for the Triple Crown ended right here um, at the hands of Gran Canaria. Yeah, yeah. ended a very, very, very good Gran Canaria, having the most Gran Canaria spread of points. Well, yeah, you say that. Um, 13, Ari, 18, 12, 25 for Ari was unreal. Ari was the star here. And I think for most of the season, the kind of top three Gran Canaria guys have been the three Americans. It's been Jorge, Jorge and Rose. Yeah, Jorge Salazar had a pretty quiet game. He only had two points. But yeah, Ari had maybe his best game all season and Luigi had definitely his best game all season. Oh, yeah, for sure. Luigi's been kind of inconsistent slash not trusted by the coaches, I don't think. And there's been a lot of games where he's been cold and then has just been put on the bench. But he, Albacete gambled on it and left him open again and again. And he was nine from 15 and had 18 points. Ari was 12 from 18. And honestly, looking at these stats and seeing that Ari missed six shots feels like about five too many. Yeah. But felt like he didn't miss for the entire game. And he was like going, he was going inside as well. And like he was finishing post ups over the Albacete size. And yeah, he was awesome, man. Everything he did seemingly turned to gold this entire weekend. So shout out to him. Yeah. He was unbelievable. Um, very, very, very well deserved all star in the end. But yeah, yeah. just really- that efficiency is so hard to stop because he's massive if that's going in. Yeah, and the real difference here is that we talk about Albacete's spread of shooting and the fact they've got shot creation in multiple spots, but they got a combined 27 points on a combined 47 shots from Gaz, Kyle, and Filipski. Yes. They, this is a really bad time to have your three primary options shoot poorly when you're in a game with probably the one team that has a chance against you in a shootout. Yeah. Like, I think there's a thing if you come away from that game and it's like, Hey, we kind of, we were there thereabouts and our two like starting perimeter creators were um, nine from 40. Like you probably can just be like, Hey man, that happens every so often. Yeah. But I don't know. That's you can't just accept that that happens mid game. Obviously, yeah. um, you have but, to try and find ways around it. But I, I think sometimes that, at the end, at the end of it, you have to be able to just be like, "Hey, whatever, man. Good looks." Like I don't know if you'd have changed a whole lot about the shots they were taking. No, and they still Grand Canaria aren't the biggest team, and you can see that in the Albacete got twenty from Lee, and then eight apiece from Ben Fox and Alejandro Azuela, and yeah. That's what you'd expect to happen because they can leverage their size. And you wonder how much more dangerous the size would have been if the shots had been... Obviously, you still jump guys like Gaz, Kyle, and Flipsky, but there's an extra level of jumping those guys in a state of panic when they're hot that leads to simple mistakes, which wasn't necessarily there in this game. No, for sure. Do you want to do your monologue on the refs? It's not really a monologue. It's... um the refs blew calls in both directions that changed the outcome of the game. Like 
So the Fran tech or the Fran unsportsman like is a weird one where it's like in person, it didn't look that bad on the replay. He like hits Jorge in the lap. But like as a one, I don't know how much closer he gets to swiping up the ball. Like he didn't get anywhere near the ball. But I'm also like, hey, don't give people unsportsman likes for that stuff. Like gives I'm I'm I think the bar for an unsportsman like should be like trying to wipe people out. And that was very clearly not. Yeah, I, I don't think it is, but at the same time, they've been calling it like that all year. For, for No, they've been calling it like that for 10 years. I know. Right, right. I just don't think they should. But no, my thing is like, so that was bad. Kyle said something to the refs. Um, which, which we was will funny. not repeat on the fucking... We will not repeat, but it was very funny. And also apparently the thing is like the official refs report, like they have to write why they threw someone out. And he like quoted it exactly, which is amazing. Um, but um, it wasn't anything horrendous. But um, I think he let his feelings known about the effect the ref was having on the game. But he, you can see the emotion in the in the video. Like, but throwing someone out for that, I think. Like once again, like that's a tech. That's one tech. That's not two. Yeah. No, I agree. I wonder, like, if you tech someone up. If you tease someone up and they keep going and they keep going and they follow you for another 30 seconds, you can be like, hey, I'll give you another one. Yeah. But you give someone, it's two so that you can give someone one tech and then kind of hold it over them to be like, up, 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 behave yourself. But so they did that. And then, but also the other end, Jorge getting back up and Harry pushing in behind him, looking for a bit of chair contact and throwing himself on the floor and that being called an unsportsman. Like, if Harry had made those free throws, that completely blows the game in the other direction. Yeah. And it, like, it happened to not. So it's like because of the way the scoreboard looks, Ami Abba, the team that are unhappy with the refs. But like if Harry makes both those free throws, like he made, made a pair of free throws in, a, a, in, a, in the same court and in the same basket half a day later. Like, so if he makes both of those, it's one possession game. You've got good shooters on who haven't been shooting well all game. But so statistically you think are likely to make one yeah. you know what i mean if basically either team could have been upset with the refs if that game ended in a certain way and i don't like that that's something that we can sit and talk about yeah um stop throwing people out um i don't know like i guess there has to be a bar referees need to protect themselves i understand if there's any referees listening to this i'm sure you need to protect yourselves but like well let people play man Sure. It means a lot. Like it means so much to everyone involved. Like you've been working all season, but you've also been playing your whole life to try and win something as big as this. Yeah, this seems before we move on to the medal games, shall we revisit my proposed rule of no unsportsmanlike fouls within the last two minutes? Um, no, yes. Um <laughs> I just think the bar needs to be higher. I think yeah, like I, I agree. You need to let people play um and let people be emotional. I don't know, like hey, you're bad at your job with a few swear words in there. It doesn't get you thrown out for my, yeah. for like how I like my games ref. No, it's, fu- it's funny that, isn't it? Because at any, at any other line of work in the world, going and yelling that <laughs> somebody who's assessing you while you're doing your job is probably going to get you a lot worse than that. But for some reason, because it's a basketball game, it's fine. Yeah, doing it to your like doing it to the person taking your driving test or something. <laughs> All right, cool. 
two right. games to go. We've been at this for an hour and twenty. Let's crack on. We have. Right. We've got stuff to do. Um, Amiab seventy-eight, Madiba sixty-eight in the bronze medal game. This felt very like when you get to a bronze medal game. Sometimes there's like one team that a bronze would be great for, like a team that's happy to be there. Or yeah. one up. This felt a bit like. No, you oh, have it. No, you have it. Not even, not trying to give it, like, there's yeah. two teams trying to win basketball games, but two teams that were like, oh, man, we should be playing at 12, not 10. Yeah. Um. So it was a bit weird. And there was also a lot of, like, so much going on with the refs. And I think that was people being like, hey, you've heard us very recently, and I'm going <laughs> to, like, have a go at you for this, that, and the other. It got really weird and chippy at various different points. And then it got the opposite, where it was like, scrappy but like the teams were just laughing and like having fun it was really weird man yeah the strange one the big the non-referee storyline here is that Gaz bounced back after a tough game in the semi-final Gaz had 27 on 11 from 18 um another quiet one from Kyle Filipski and Lee both chipped in double digits and this was I think we've seen enough Albacete versus Madiba now to know that the three potential shot creators playing kind of one to one and a half main shot creators is a winning formula for Albacete. Phil had, oh, a, sure. Phil had a good game in terms of putting points on the board. Um, he was eight from 16 and he had 19. But yeah, there's just, when Albacete are able to get the ball out of Phil's hands, it felt like unless he was passing to an assist they were playing into Albacete's hands on a lot of these. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like ball comes out of Phil's hands and if it doesn't go towards the basket, it kind of goes dead or back yeah. to Phil. So we yeah, that, there. that was basically... And I think Albacete used this same formula against him and against Mediva when they've play, played all year, really. Uh, shout out to Charlie Moore, actually, who had a very yeah. underrated tournament where she's, she's legitimately a release valve and making shots from the top of the key at a clip in terms of lows in the Spanish league. She's like maybe fourth behind like Abdi Macek and Oscar on Rubia in terms of, Hey, she's, she might make this when you leave her open. Yeah. She is, she is my way to fix the all-star five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't know who I'd take out, but I'd put her in. Yeah. Um, she was great. I thought she had a great she had a great season, but I thought she had a really good tournament. Yeah, I was impressed with her. Um and then yeah, Albacete just I think got more from the role players here, like eight from Harry, eight from Ben, three from Oscar and Rubia, uh, four from Alejandro. The combination of size, shooting, and depth of options showed up for Albacete in this game where it hadn't done against. Gran Canaria is basically what this one boils down to. Yeah. Yeah. When you were going through the role players, I was like, and 13 from Filipski. I think I, I think I already said it. Yes. Um, right. Shall we hit the final? We shall. Bilaidiak Bilbao, 72. Uh, Connie Gran Canaria, 67. If we had air horns, this is where I'd play it. Not really feeling feeling low energy. Um, so we got it done. David was unbelievable again, is the story of this game. Seven from 12 threes. 
<laughs> only two from eight from inside the arc, so he needs to pick that up. It's not good. He had a half, and I think I don't remember which game it was, but he had a half that he was zero from five twos and five yeah, from that, eight. That was, that was the final. That's insane. Yeah, it was mental. I've I've seen few things in my life like the second quarter that David Maurice had. Um, this one was so Gran Canario up two after the first quarter, and then you guys won the second quarter by eight. But there was a point where you were winning the second quarter by 14 before Gran Canaria dragged it back into reach. Yeah, we were winning it by that many. Um, we were minus seven with Hasso off the floor because he had four fouls. Yeah. And um, start of the fourth, so we pulled him for a bit there. Uh, end of the third, sorry. Yeah, and there was... Yeah, there was kind of a Gran Canaria went ahead by six at one point, which was like 36-30, and from that point onwards, you guys went on a something in the realm of a... 21 to 9 run and I think all but a couple of points were David Maurice making threes in that run um, yeah there's a real weird thing of like are David Maurice's three point stats like inflated like are they gonna just leave us at some point and it's like well no he's taken us to here and they're still going in <laughs> also, which is un- it doesn't matter if they leave you somewhere after the final of the Copa del Rey. Like, yeah, like he can leave them on he can leave them on the side of the road at somewhere between Malaga and Bilbao if he wants, <laughs> as long as he picks them up before September. Um, but yeah, man, he was he's been unbelievable all year, like shooting the ball, obviously, but just leadership as well, like stepping in when Dacier was out. But yeah, yeah. yeah this was another one where we kind of just had a game, had a Really, really good, solid game plan between a lot of us. Having us here, there's unbelievable for that sort of stuff. Um, stuck to it consistently. And it was like we had the bad runs when we strayed from it. And then obviously when we have to sub the biggest man in the universe for the young fella, obviously yeah. that makes a difference. But How old, how old is Biel? 19, 20. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to say he is like, I think he even looks younger than he is, but it, there was like something very comical about bringing Hasso out for this incredibly like baby-faced kid who granted had done a great job just the day before, but it kind of felt like, really? You're just going to throw this child into battle with these guys? But yeah, minus seven, but I would, you know, find me a 19-year-old two-pointer who's going to come in for Hasso and not miss a beat. Oh, for sure. Um, Obviously, the game kind of turned when Salazar got thrown out for his fifth foul. Um, He was only minus one. He was still minus one. Like, yeah. um, He was only minus one. The rest of those guys were minus five in the end, obviously. So So, the guy who came in for Salazar actually has the second best plus minus in the entire game, even though the entire game nosedived as he was in. Yeah, Luis Roy. That's tough. That's yeah. a tough, tough ask to come in for a team that kind of plays five most yeah. of the time. But um, I think, yeah, unbelievable from David Murray's unbelievable from Gemma once again. Yeah, I mean, Ch- Gemma started the game off and we, you've mentioned on here before how he's like the spirit animal of Bid Out and mm-hmm. th- there was just, you could see it in like his body language and the way he caught the ball already shooting it. And it was like, there is nothing in this man that's going to allow his team to lose under any circumstance. 
Like, yeah, like just fully putting it on his back. Unbelievable. Yeah. He was um, great. Um, I also thought like even numbers not being great or whatever, like we kind of got what we needed defensively from our bigs and yeah. Um, yeah, I I was there. Um <laughs> flying around trying to make people's lives difficult. One of the things looking at the stats that I think I spoke to someone, uh, I spoke to Mariana on our bench at halftime and I was like, Rose is whatever she is right now, um, stats wise. But it's like when she's not getting going, sometimes the temptation is to be like, ah, but it's going to come at some point. But it would be like, if she was two from seven, that would be one thing. But if you're like, if she's not going because she's two from four, you're yeah. probably doing a pretty good job. Yeah, like sure. it's it's like she's gonna shoot like sixty five percent, no matter what. Yeah. So exactly. it's like, do you need to get like it's do you lower how many shots she gets up rather than like I don't know how much people can affect her efficiency. Although she was two from ten, so yeah, maybe you can. I, I actually think she was more than two from ten. You know, I think there's a slight statistical error here because she definitely made more than two shots. But yeah, I think so. Um. Yeah, I mean, the story for me with this one was to say this was a five-point game, the number of swings that were in here, because it was, like I say, Grand Canaria got up six. You guys ripped off a plus 12 kind of run to get ahead by six going into halftime. You guys then pushed it out to a 12-point lead, I think, and they spent the rest of the third quarter reeling that back in. And then yeah. there was, and they point. got there. To be fair, like, yeah, they they, they tied it. it at sixty five all, I think. And then you guys yeah. were were able to. It was like seven two over the last however many minutes. But yeah, this was to say this was a five point game. The amount of seesawing is, you know, you have to watch the game to get that. And this was kind of when you guys won, and the old guys who are the Bilbao veterans you could very obviously see what it meant to them. And it was kind of, I think the way the game swung back and forwards amplified that because you guys, Hasso foul trouble obviously made you dip. Um, Salazar's foul trouble obviously hurt them in the last five minutes, but had this game gone on for 45 minutes as opposed to 40, God knows what we could be looking at right now. Oh yeah, for sure. So I think there's a sense of, like, although it's the best sense of accomplishment you could ever ask for, it also ties in with like a sense of relief, which sounds bizarre about winning a final. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, the local guys, like that was the one thing that they like the Bilbao ones hadn't won for the club. They'd won a Euro League, they'd won a Euro League one, obviously. Um, they won the league last year and they hadn't ever won the Copa del Rey. So that was nice to be able to to bring that home. Yeah. Um yeah. Obviously, just like those guys feel an immense amount of pride representing a team that they've kind of built from the bottom, like Gemma's a local, local man. Yeah. He's from around the corner. Um, Asier as well. And the rest of the guys who've been here for so long feel a lot of that. And I don't I don't blame them because well, like there is, I don't know, the sort of values and when you whatever. said I don't, I was sure you were gonna be like, I don't quite get it, but but I was yeah. there too. No, 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 it's the opposite. Like, I I, I, I understand it, like, seeing yeah. the sort of way this team's put together and the values of the guy that runs the team. And it's, yeah, it felt very special. One thing I want to say is that was Jorge Sanchez's last game for Gran Canaria. I think he's leaving, playing Europe. Um, he's mentioned a couple of times, this isn't us blowing anything up. 
but he's mentioned a couple of times. Um, I said to him after the game, and I'll say it on here, like the transformation of Gran Canaria in the last couple of years, the last five years that he's been there has been absolutely unbelievable. They've gone to EuroLeague one winners, sort of perennial contenders, and he deserves a lot of the credit for that. So congratulations and all the best for the next bit, whatever that is. Shout out to Jorge. Okay, so there only remains one more question from this weekend, and there is only one answer to that, which sounds insane to say, given that Tommy Bomer won the German playoff finals on a free throw. But who is guessing the belt on the final weekend round of the season? Is it David Maurice by any chance? It is. How did you know? Uh, I was there. I saw it. <laughs> uh, we were wrestling with the idea of whether he should be able to have it after he got ejected from the first game, but I think two 40-minute games of 25 and 28 and a combined 13 made threes probably offsets like three quarters of a game worth of sitting out. Gets it done, doesn't it? I think so. He was well-rested, ready to go. Does he get to have it for the whole summer now? Is that how this works? No. We will just randomly award it <laughs> based on whatever we feel like on like a Tuesday morning. And on that note, feel free to subscribe or donate to our coffee account. Yes. Might sweeten the pot. Um, Yeah, as we mentioned, this is going to be the last one because the season is wrapping up more or less everywhere. Uh, We are going to be getting a ton of guests in to fill as much time as we can. So we'll most likely be having guests on our Sunday episodes as well. Whether they'll be on Sundays or not, I don't know now because we don't need to wrap up action kind of a determined time so our schedule might be a bit more flexible we're going to get a ton of guests and if you want to come on and talk to us let us know if there's anyone you want us to go out and get let us know and yeah outside of that uh yeah thank you for listening all year i guess You'll yeah mental know we're not taking a break cool yeah thanks so much for listening hell of a season congrats to everyone involved Congrats to most people involved. No. Um, (laughs) But yeah, unbelievable stuff. Thank you so much for anyone who's tuned in and anyone who enjoys this, anyone who's supported us. This is very fun to be a part of. This really does feel feel like the last episode of a TV show. Yes. Right. Cheers to listen, everybody. And we will be back soon with or without guests, depending on whether people reply to us. Cool. Take it easy. Take it easy. Bye.